the latest on local politics. Jury deliberations are underway in the trial of former Chicago alderman Ed Burke. Meanwhile, Chicago officials are continuing to struggle with how to house and support the growing number of migrants arriving in the city. So we'll get to the Burke news in just a moment. But first, WBEZ city government and politics reporter Tessa Weinberg is here in studio with the latest on migrants. Hey, Tessa. Hey, thanks for having me. Sad news. Uh, just this week, Tessa, a five-year-old boy died. This was after he got sick at a migrant shelter in Pilsen. What happened? Yeah, so on Sunday afternoon, um, a five-year-old boy, he was feeling ill, was experiencing a medical emergency, the mayor's office has said, and he was transported to Comer Children's Hospital where he was pronounced dead. Um, you know, there is not really a lot of details on what his cause of death was. The Cook County Medical Examiner's Office says that is still pending. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing an autopsy. Um, you I know, was hearing things about overcrowding at the shelter. Are those rumors at this point? Yeah, so it is. The shelter is pretty, you know, packed as over 2,300 people earlier this month. Um, you know, volunteers who uh, work with some of the migrants and are aiding them who have lived in that shelter shared you know, videos and photos and show, you know, you know, folks really living pretty close together and also just, you know, conditions that, you know, one video, there is water dripping from the ceiling onto a cot, kids wearing their coats inside because they say it's so cold. Um, and so the volunteers were really raising, you know, what the alarms for what they saw were not, you know, livable conditions. There were allegations as well of um, claims that, you know, medical help was not provided, that those requests were denied, that a call for an ambulance was not immediately made. Um, authorities, the police, you know, mayor's office could not confirm those details. Um, so there's a lot of questions, I think, about, you know, exactly, you know, how things occurred within the shelter, especially wow. since people, you know, we were not there. Um, but the city says they're investigating, detectives are investigating, and that, um, you know, the Office of Emergency Management has vowed to make any, you know, changes to staff operations. That's a contracted company that actually staffs that location mm-hmm. pending that. Um, but they were also defending, you know, the shelter operations. And just yesterday, um, when, you know, reporters, we were pressing Mayor Johnson on on the conditions there, you know, while he expressed regret um, and vowed, you know, that steps were being taken. He really was placing the blame on Texas Governor Greg Abbott and repeatedly said, you know, it's the conditions where it started. Yeah. That that governor is creating that are making people arrive here sick. Um, But he was very, yeah, you know, kind of defensive and and really placing the blame there. Still a very tragic, tragic outcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meantime, we know migrants are still arriving in this city by the busload, right? So give us the latest. Mm-hmm. How yeah. many? So we still have, you know, nearly 14,000 people in 27 city shelters. Um, over the weekend, the city did, you know, celebrate briefly a milestone of clearing out police stations from being used to house folks. But that didn't last very long. Just Monday, you know, there were 20 folks again at the police stations. As of this morning, there's mm-hmm. two dozen people waiting across police districts for a spot. Still another 200 out here. Um, and so while the city says, you know, so one minute you hear that it's been cleared out, the yeah. next there are still folks mm-hmm. sleeping there. Yeah. And the city has said it's, you know, in part lost communication with some of these bus companies after it implemented stricter rules on where buses could drop folks off and having to basically get approval for how they do things. And so now they say they've kind of lost a bit of that picture of what that looks like and buses going to suburbs or just dropping folks off in random places. Um, so we're you know, still getting folks. The city said in its daily update this morning, another two buses are expected today. But yeah, um, we're still seeing people, you know, having to resort to police stations. Yeah. And temperatures, as we know, are dropping. Yesterday was frigid outside. Mm-hmm. So w- what is what exactly is the flow right now? Where is the city directing new migrants to stay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the city says that, um, you know, when folks 
show up, that they're going to be moved into shelters when beds come available. They're really trying to move away from police stations. They say those are not going to continue to be used as the kind of emergency respite or point of intake. Mm -hmm. But I think kind of remains to be seen how that's going to work because we still see folks having to resort to police stations. I think, you know, until the city is able to open up more shelter space, there's not really a lot yeah, of options then for the folks flow for now. No beds. Um, there is supposed to be a former CVS store in Little Village that should be opening soon. That, mm-hmm. that should add some beds. Um, but even, for example, in Morgan Park, there was the the site for to have a, a base camp. Yeah. Environmental study was underway, and that showed that there had been, um, you know, underground fuel storage tanks. That doesn't seem to have those been removed. It used to be a cleaner. So there's also environmental concerns there. So it seems like that is maybe, you know, not an option right at this moment. Yeah, none of these base camps are an option at this point. And Chicago imposed a 60-day shelter limit mm-hmm. for migrants. So when will the first group of migrants be impacted by this policy and have to to leave? Yeah. So that was announced um, last month in November. And so the first wave of folks are going to have to leave next month in mid-January. And the city said... Mid-January? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Freezing cold. um, That is the worst possible time. Yeah. I think that's a concern for lots of the advocates of just even knowing, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily moving in January. You know, there's a lot of housing stock that just won't necessarily be available. Um, The city has said there's about 50 people who have been in city shelter since last year that will be part of that first wave. But also anyone who's been newly arriving the city shelter system since this was announced are limited to 60 days. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and as we've seen people get cleared out police stations, that's bumping up the number of people in shelters. So there's a lot more folks that are you know, starting to have this clock um, start ticking. And this policy has also been combined with um, a reduction in rental assistance. So instead of six months, it goes to three. And for anyone newly entering shelters, they don't have that option at all. No rental assistance is being made available. The state says it's out of money to keep funding that. And that really has volunteers and advocates, you know, concerned people are going to be displaced and left on the streets. There was a a WBEZ analysis finding that migrants often need to stay longer than 60 days. Yeah. Which um, is what we suspected. Yeah. um, My colleague Amy Chin did, uh, you know, a data analysis um, looking at data we had gotten from the Department of Family Support Services that found roughly seven in 10 shelters days have been longer than 60 days and that the average stay was 76 days for migrants who had exited shelter before November 1st. The shortest days were those who, you know, entered and exited the same day, while the longest was 393 days, so well over a year. Um, and, you know, volunteers said they suspect, you know, that average of 76 days might even be an undercount because the city data we got was uh, very limited and did not include, for example, shelters that have since closed and were not open, open and operating as of November 1st, the day of the data. So they said, though, it just, you know, underscores their fears that, you know, they worry this is kind of an arbitrary 60-day deadline that's going to yeah. have real consequences consequences for folks. Jeez. Tessa Weinberg is a WBEC city government and politics reporter. I want to turn now to jury deliberations in the trial for former Chicago Alderman Ed Burke. WBEZ city politics reporter Mariah Wolfel is at the federal courthouse. Hey, Mariah. Hey, Sasha. Remind us of the charges that the former alderman is, is facing. Sure. Um, So he's charged with 14 counts, one racketeering, two federal program bribery, two counts of attempted extortion, one count of conspiracy to commit extortion, and eight counts of using interstate commerce for illegal activity. So that's a bunch of legalese, um, but Burke is accused in plain language of using his city hall power for personal gain. Um, The charges are related to four different Teams. One, that Burke tried to stall a remodel at a Burger King in his ward until its owners hired his private law firm 
two, he tried to help trade trade help with the development of Chicago's old post office for law firm business. Um, he allegedly tried to block a fee increase at the Field Museum after they didn't get back to his goddaughter about an internship. And lastly, he's accused of taking a bribe of law firm business for his private firm for help with a poll sign permit on the northwest side. Wow. And after six weeks, all of this is now in the hands of the jury. Tell us about the jury. What do we know? So it's a 12-member jury, nine women, three men, and mostly are from outside of Chicago. And so many of them reported not knowing, you know, the city's most powerful, longest-serving alderman, Ed Burke. Two are from the city. They live in Fulton Market and Ravenswood. And then um, you've got a diverse group of people. Uh, There's an advertiser, a child welfare specialist at DCFS, a mortgage loan specialist, a clinical social worker. um, And they started deliberations on Monday afternoon. You know, today's the first full day of deliberations. They'll meet each day from about 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. until they reach verdicts on 19 different counts. Um, for Burke and his two co-defendants, a political aide, Pete Andrews, and a developer, Charles Clay. What's the latest on deliberations? So the jury actually started this morning with a question to the judge. It was a very um, kind of weedsy question that I won't get into, but basically they wanted further clarification on a definition of what unauthorized by law means on this one count that has to do with um, the account against the developer, Charles Quay, in the case. And if I were to give any analysis, I mean, it's hard to tell how the jury is going about this. They might be taking one defendant at a time. They might be trying to make sure they understand all of the counts. We have no idea how they've decided to systemize their deliberations, but um, it, it could indicate that they're, you know, that, that that we might be here for a while. That they're, you know, really trying to you know, the the specific the specificity of their question mm-hmm. um, might indicate, you know, that this is something that they're they're taking very seriously. I mean, obviously, they're tasked with doing so, um, and that yeah, if if yeah. they're going through each count with with such a fine tooth comb, that that it might be a while. Yeah, they're definitely looking into something there with with, with such specific questions. Now, if he is convicted on on some or all of the counts, Mariah, what kind of punishment could Ed Burke face? Well, it's really hard to calculate, but I added up the maximum penalties for all 14 counts and got 140 years, which Burke will ne- will never be sentenced to. That would be extreme and unheard of. But that that's the maximum, and it goes to show just how many counts there are in this case. Wow, um, yeah. But the court has to impose reasonable sentences under federal sentencing guidelines and statutes. Um, 140 years would, would be extreme extreme um, but he is facing serious prison time for instance one of the big counts is the first count in the indictment it's racketeering um, and that encompasses corruption acts like bribery like extortion um, and that comes with a maximum sentence of 20 years mm-hmm. um, so even if he were just you know even if he beat 13 other counts and was just um, found guilty of racketeering he could face up to 20 years the last public corruption case that this judge um, oversaw, she sentenced a city hall insider with with much less power and much less clout than Burke, mind you, Mm -hmm. to 10 years in prison. Mm, Okay. Um, Interesting. Interesting. So public opinion on this trial, like how has that changed as as the trial's gone on? Um, 
You know, I've been in the courtroom, so I haven't been paying too much attention to public opinion, but just the responses I, I get to our coverage, um, I've heard people say that they don't think Burke will serve any uh, prison time and that he'll, or he'll, he'll get away with this with a slap on the wrist. And I think that's largely based on Burke's reputation as being untouchable for 50 years and a very powerful man. Um, uh, And I'm not sure how much this trial itself has changed public opinion in Chicago, at least. Mm -hmm. You know, Burke is very well known here. And some I've heard people say, you know, his alleged corruption has been the city's worst kept secret. Um, Whether that's true or not, it, it is part of his reputation. Um, and a lot of the kind of bombshell tape that we've heard in this trial that we've covered has already been out here through court filings. And it's been well known. They've become, right. you know, kind of infamous quotes as Burke saying, did we land the tuna or the developers who didn't hire my law firm can go F themselves. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure how much these proceedings have made a dent in people's opinions of Burke or of the larger, you know, Chicago style politics. Yeah. Well, as you, you said jurors are are going through all of this with a fine-tooth comb. Any sense of how long they might be deliberating? Well, I have no sense. I mean, it could be days. It could be a week. It could be weeks. Um, The first full day of deliberations was today, and it started with that question that I told you about. Um, You know, the judge has said to the jury, do not rush. I will give you the week of Christmas off if you're not done by Friday. So if, if if they don't have a verdict, or, you know, 19 verdicts by this Friday, then they'll have all of next week off and they'll come back on, you know, January 3rd or whatever that Monday is after the new year and continue to deliberate then. So they're not in, I mean, they're not supposed to be in a huge rush. They're supposed to take all the time they can. I see. And as you know, you've heard, this is obviously a very complicated case that'll take time to weed through. Yes. Mariah Wolfel is a WBEZ city politics reporter. Thank you so much for making sense of all that for us, Mariah. Thanks for having me.